0: May I help you, sir?
1: How much for an order of ribs? Uh,
0: 250. 250? How many ribs do I get with that? Uh, about five. Five? So I guess that's about 50 cents a rib, huh? Yeah, about. Okay, let me get one. Right on. One order. One order ribs. No, 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 no. One rib. One rib. I sure am hungry. Uh make that one rib to go. One rib? One rib. What else? You got any soda? One dollar. Oh, come on now. Look out for a brother, man. Come on. Hey, you take this example. Why don't you let me get a sip for 15 cents? My cups cost more than 15 cents. All right, because the am pulling in my hand for a dime. Ready. West. Ready. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin. Where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is episode 60 for Tuesday, April 5th, 2011. As usual, I am Paul Fox, and joining me from some spot here in the Fragrant Harbor is my good friend and co-host, Mr. Kevin Ma. Ooh, I'm good to be back. How's it going, Kevin? Uh, quite good, Paul. How about you? All right. Happy tomb-sweeping day.
1: Yeah. Um, did you sweep any tombs?
0: I did not. I have no tombs of which in Hong Kong to sweep, thankfully. Um, but I was out and about, went and uh, went to the movies today, as I saw many people doing. And I uh, watched uh, the new cartoon Rio.
1: Ah, yeah. so did I, actually. Oh,
0: did you? Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, I think we'll be talking about that maybe on our next episode. But for today, we're going to be talking about four films. We've got two films for East Screen this week. That is... Uh, the new film High Fidelity and the new Johnny To Waikafai film called Don't Go Breaking My Heart, both of which I think were leading films in the Hong Kong International Film Festival. In addition, we've got some West Green films, including Nomio and Juliet, a new animation from Touchstone, and the long-awaited and much-anticipated Sucker Punch from Zack Snyder. But before we get into that, uh, let's do this, get into some news. <laughs> All right, I kind of lied. We don't really have any news to cover this week because we've got so many films and we've been gone for uh, three weeks since our last episode, primarily because Mr. Ma has been a busy bee with both uh, Hong Kong Film Art and the Hong Kong International Film Festival going on for the past couple weeks. So, Kevin, why don't you give give us a rundown on some of the stuff that you've seen and done and... Anything of interest uh, that might have occurred in your travels these past three weeks?
1: Yeah, well, March is always uh, my favorite month of the year because uh, here in Hong Kong, we have the Hong Kong Entertainment Expo, where um, essentially all film major film events come together in this one month. That includes the uh, Hong Kong International Film Festival, of course, um, the, the Hong Kong Film Mart, which is uh, kind of a film market event. Um, as well as uh, let me fix my mic a little bit here. Uh, as well as you know, Asian film awards. Uh, I think there's some music conference things like that. All happens uh, over uh those couple of weeks, so starting from March 20th, uh, I was pretty much gone and uh watching movies and and uh, for the first. And, and from March 21st to the 24th, I was at Film Mart for a couple of days uh, and the Asian Film Awards. So um, I'll start Film Mart. Film Mart is kind of a film, uh, as I said before, Film Mart is a film market where uh, film buyers and and, um, and film, I guess, industry people uh, who care to come to Hong Kong, uh, they come here and they meet up and they talk about the latest projects. Um, there's also the HAF, which is the Hong Kong Asian Financing Forum, uh, which um, brings uh, filmmakers from all around the world to meet up with uh, potential investors for for the projects that was picked for the HAF. Um, I, I went to Filmart for two days. Uh, watched, I sat in on an industry screening of a Japanese movie called Slapstick Brothers, uh, also called Manzai Gang, which uh, opened in Japan maybe two weeks ago, I think mean, a week after the earthquake. Um, quite funny, uh, overlong but funny. Um, But mainly, uh, I went there to sit in on things like uh, press conferences and certain talks or directors, uh, which are usually for the press uh, and for potential buyers. One of them is the Media Asia presentation. Um, I saw introductions for uh, Don't Go Breaking My Heart. Um, The, let me think, uh, Punished. um, The Johnny Toe Romance, I think Romance in Thin Air and also uh the only non milky way movie of the bunch um which is um Andrew Lau's Beautiful Life uh, starring Shu uh, Qi and Liu Ye. Um, the directors and the stars, they showed up, uh, of each movie, they showed up and represented their film a little bit. Um, essentially presented their film to potential buyers. So that's pretty interesting to sit through. Uh, of course, it was mainly for the press to to do things like pr- publicity, uh, to drama publicity because these are all films that have, except for the Johnny Toe romance, um, Romance in Thin Air, these all have uh, release dates. So they're coming up in the next couple of months. Um, I also sat on a 45-minute talk uh, with director uh, Felix Chung and uh, Alan Alan Mack. They're probably better known as the screenwriting team of Inferno Affairs. Um, they went there to talk about their latest film, The Lost Bladesman, which stars Donnie as uh, Lord Kwan. Um, some interesting stuff there, all in Mandarin, um, even though it's hosted by Manfred Wong. Um, some interesting tidbits about the film, I guess. Um, again, mainly for, for, for media to drum up... Um, to to join publicity for the film's release coming at the end of April, um, but yeah, that was somewhat interesting. Although I saw some kind of uh, interesting things, like I think uh, the film company might have been passing out red um, red packets to to reporters for for interviews for for coverage. But that's a sp- speculation. Uh, I won't say any more about that. Uh, sat on a forum about uh, upcoming three D rigs, cameras, things like that. So that's that's pretty much what Filmart is. It has all these. Industry things that, you know, mainly if, if you're going as like a visitor, you go and you watch the talks and you watch the seminars and maybe sometimes you can sit on a screening of a film uh, much earlier than, say, the rest of the, than the theatrical release overseas because these films are for potential buyers to bring these films overseas. Um, and all in all, pretty fun.
0: Did you uh, happen to get a chance to sit in on a certain uh, category three 3D film that we've talked no. about before?
1: Yes, uh, there was a private invitation-only screening for uh, Sessing Zen 3D. Um, I was not invited, obviously. Uh, um, that's a shame. Yeah, well, I, I just don't know the peoples, uh, the, the right peoples, I suppose. Yeah, you're,
0: you're not moving in the right Category 3 circles. No, I'm no. not in the right category, I guess, of yeah. people. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha.
1: No, I, I did watch the... I walked by the booth and I saw the uh, trailer in 3D, finally, in 3D. And I have to say, the shot with the hand the girl and the hand coming up, it works a lot better in 3D. Mm. Uh, kind of got me like, not even for the sex, sex part, maybe for the Zen part, but the 3D, I'm, I'm a little excited about the 3D part. Um, but beyond that, it was, it's been festivals and festival screenings. Uh, some interesting films. Um, I skipped quite a few, sadly. But uh, some very interesting stuff. I saw Punished the other day, the new UK movie. Um, it's okay. Not not great. Saw a remastered copy of a Young Fan's Last Romance. And that reminded me um, why, or that kind of got me asking, why don't we have actresses like Maggie Chen and Cherry Chong anymore? Because they're so great in the movie, even though the movie's not really good. Um Buddha Mountain, a Chinese movies starring Sylvia Chang, uh, Chen Bolin, and uh, Fan Bingbing. Uh, it was interesting, also uh, not great. Um, uh, pretty interesting, you know, Asian stuff. A uh, pretty uh, mix, very mix of stuff. Even though I'm a little disappointed by the um, Japanese choices this year. Um, however, with really my busy schedule and just general, you know, having ways to to get access to movies legally, um, I end up watching more. Uh, quite a few HKIFF movies outside the festival, you know, with uh, DVD and I putting it on my iPad and watching a commute and things like that. Um, so, but all in all, I mean, Mar- this is still one of my favorite times of the year, even though I was extremely busy and pretty much extremely exhausted. Um, and I'm glad to be back here and going back on my normal schedule. But um, yeah, it's just one of the most fun times of the year, just having this much to do.
0: Mm, yeah. Um, and so you not only spent time at Filmart, but then you've been quite busy with the uh, International Film Festival. I've been following along with some of your tweets, and you know it seems like you've seen a mix of things. Some things you like, some things were pretty bad, according to some of the tweets that you posted out. Mm. Um, anything that just pops in your head as a must-see that might be making it to some other countries on a film circuit?
1: must see and now that you you mentioned it, i mean a lot of movies are solid but it's really hard to recommend a lot of these movies as like a must see um i, I did watch the Illusionist, which was um i a, a think can it was i think it was nominated for the academy award for best um animated film it's a really fabulous film um even though it's really depressing um great great film um what else? There was uh, Chico and Rita. I saw a movie called Chico and Rita today, uh, a Spanish UK co-production about um, a jazz uh, a romance between a jazz pianist and um, and, a, and a jazz singer in nineteen forties uh, Cuba and New York, uh, which was wonderful, um, very touching, uh, very good in film. Definitely check it out. The music is really great, um, and those are really the two. Best, you know, movies that would jump out and say, "You gotta watch it! You gotta watch them." Um, Sadly, none of those, neither of those, are really Asian films. I mean, we talk about Asian films. I think the best Asian film I've seen um, at the festival for me, the one that really got—I played at the festival, but I didn't watch it in the festival. It would be, um, let me think, it would be uh, when love comes, a Taiwanese uh, film uh, that was uh, really nominate for quite a bit of awards at the Golden Horse this past year. Um, a really good, just one of those dysfunctional family film uh, that's really solid, really great performances. Direction is great. The script is great. Just, just a really good film all around, even though you know, it doesn't really pop out and say, I am making a great film, but it's just so solid that you're kind of thankful that, oh,
0: it's as good as it is. Hmm. For a moment there, I thought you were going to say it was the uh, Sex and Zen 3D trailer. <laughs> I think I, I think
1: if if I didn't watch When Love Comes, I think for the Asian film section, I might have to say that yes.
0: All right, I think that's a pretty good wrap up of your experiences. So, why don't we move on? Asian. Ready. Ready. Oh. All right, and this segment of East Screen is brought to you by. LoveHKfilm.com. For the latest in Hong Kong film reviews as well as pan Asian film discussions, visit LoveHKfilm.com. So, for East Screen this week, we've got two films to talk about, um, and Kevin's going to get to do all the talking because I haven't actually had a chance to get out and see either of these, unfortunately. Uh, the first being uh, High Fidelity, and the second being uh, Don't Go Breaking My Heart. Now, um i i'd had, I had actually planned yesterday to go and try and catch um don't go breaking my heart but as i was discussing with kevin beforehand i've kind of come down with the virus again and a little bit under the weather and i decided to stay home and uh, take a bit of rest so hopefully i'll be able to catch up with that later this week but kevin why don't we start off with high fidelity and take us through a little bit of the what the film's about and some of your thoughts on it
1: yeah um well the correct way to say uh the the uh English title of high fidelity is high fidelity yes high comma fidelity yeah I know I know it's just, it's so lame it's about that that joke is about as lame as the movie itself okay where where do we start um essentially high fidelity uh is, is the second film by uh lyricist uh, Calvin Poon um he's working with what's her name Shang. Yi Shang Yang, I think, uh, who was the writer of uh, socialism, uh, no social <laughs> social realism films like um, "Whispers and Moans" and "A True Move for Sale." Um, great movies, by
0: the way. Yes, well,
1: I I mean, I, she, she's not a great writer, but um, I think she does explore issues that don't quite get the light of day in Hong Kong cinema, and I think that is something to be thankful for. But um, yeah,
0: and if, I, if you're if you're just to jump in really quickly, if you're a person who's into reading, um, her book, Whispers and Moans, does have an English translation, so you can pick that up.
1: Oh, I got to go pick that yeah. up, too. I'm,
0: I've, I'm halfway through that book, um, and it, I mean, it, it reads pretty much, it, it's different from the movie. It doesn't doesn't read like a movie. It's more like a series of, you know, interviews with different war women working in the field, but it's it's pretty good for what it is.
1: Well, I hope it reads better than her work as a scriptwriter. So, if, if High Fidelity is an indication of anything. Um, but, uh, anyway, High Fidelity is, is kind of um, the best way to describe it is kind of like a female, serious art film version, uh, a female version of a uh, man's son named Black, except it's not supposed to be funny, even though it is. Um, it stars uh, Pat Ha, uh, who hasn't been, I think, in a film si- in eight years. Uh, she was a pretty prominent actress in the 80s, um, and she kind of took um, took a break, I guess, in the 90s and uh, late 80s. Uh, her last film was Princess D, and now she's kind of bringing on a full-on comeback, I guess, with this film. A uh, pretty high-profile leading role. Um, joining her is Carrie Ng, who also hasn't been in a Hong Kong film for a while, uh, and Michelle Ye. So Ye is Hong Kong actresses. There's not a trace of a mainland actress to be found in this film, um, which is, you know, always a good thing. Um, the film is about these three um, rich uh, housewives um, who 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 are neglected by their husbands in different ways. Um, uh, Pat How plays Alice, who who just who just found out that her husband has been cheating on her. Uh, Carrie Eng, um, eh, her husband is uh, spends most of the time in the mainland, the factory, and essentially neglects her and her son. Uh, Michelle yeah, is Josephine, um, whose husband is a triad, triad uh, boss, uh, played by Chapman To. Um, so to compensate for their for their neglect, uh, the husbands neglect, they they go up to. Um, and this is very interesting. They go to the, the, the what is quoted in the film called as a neighboring city to go and and um, essentially look, spend their time with gigolos. So um, wait a minute.
0: We we just we just talked about a film last time where people were going up to China to yes. find girls, and now it's in the a fictional reverse.
1: city. Yeah, yes. <laughs> for some reason, both films they they never mention. They always come up with a fictional city, or they never could name. The actual city's name. Even though some someone at one point in high fidelity actually said whispers this, the name Shenzhen. Um they, they, they never it never comes up in subtitles, which is very interesting. I have to ask someone about this, why that is happening. But anyway, so this is about them. I guess this is a, a trend, I guess it's a real trend going on these days that that women and men are looking for for you know what they used to look for in East Team Star Train now up at Shenzhen. Um so uh, these women—they all, all three, two of them, Keha and Carrie—and they they fall in love with um a gigolo named Bill, played by William Chan, and essentially they're they're push and shove, um, fighting for this guy's affection. Kind uh, is kind of the main one of the main uh, uh um conflicts of the film. Uh, meanwhile, you also have uh, Michelle Yeh's relationship with her her husband, uh, the triad boss, which is actually the best the best written part i guess of the film the best part of the film because their relationship is actually quite uh well written and there are certain twists in there that that actually works quite well um also it was nice to see william Chan, who plays the Jigolo, um with with kind of a dark secret quote unquote dark secret uh taking on a quite daring role uh despite his his um his affiliations with uh as a pop idol for emperor entertainment um and yeah, the plot I think I pretty much went through the plot. It's about the, the trouble between these three women and their respective lives and things like that. Um First of all, the good. The good is that the, the actresses, you know, they do well. They do quite well under circumstances. Um they're they, they think or they've probably been convinced that they're acting in a serious movie, so they never kind of wink winked at us uh, about what it's going on in the film, they all take it quite seriously and they do take some risk, even though there's no real nudity involved with their roles. Uh, Michelle Yeh, I think, is the one that jumps out the most because she is the most solid performance um, as as a, as, a, as the, as the uh, youngest wife of three. Uh, also, I guess, with the biggest secrets. Um, Paha is okay in the film. Uh, for a comeback, you can see why she took this as a comeback role. Uh, even though she doesn't really she wasn't really particularly good. Uh, she does take on some pretty risque sex scenes. I think she also has a master pseudo-masturbation scene, which uh is kind of risky, I guess, for a Hong Kong actress. Um so, you know, kudos to these three people for taking on, for I guess taking the risk uh for the film. But then now we gotta get into the bad. Um even though Carrie, it's nice to see Carrie back on screen and she does have that. I guess certain, a certain Hong Kong actress charisma that kind of automatically makes you makes her such a kind of a magnetic, you know, someone to watch on screen. She kind of overacts. She has enough overacting to fill three movies. Um, especially this one particular scene that it would jump out at you. It's just kind of 80s overacting brought out here in sync sound, and it just turns out looking really bad. Um, also, the melodrama, the film is pretty much a melodrama. Um, Especially in the second half of the film, and it is handled really in such an over-the-top manner that it doesn't really convince. The director has been had defended himself uh, on a, on a Hong Kong film blog recently, um, talking about how his film is trying to present real human drama. But but the you know I, I'm sure some of these events do happen in real life. But the way he presents them is such is so over-the-top, and and it never really convinces us that this could really happen. Um, it doesn't really have a sense of humor. It doesn't even know how ludicrous it gets, um, and it kind of takes it really too seriously, and it becomes uh really trashy TV and melodrama of sex scenes that you know that wouldn't be on TV. Um, now the ugly, you know, continuing the the serious taking it seriously part. You no know, no one can really take the movie seriously when your only male gay character is shown. You know, acting really almost like. 80s movie like feminine, uh, with purple glasses, um, and it's just not a very subtle movie. I well, don't care. Yeah, what,
0: it's, it's interesting up. that you bring up the point about the you know 80s movies because when I watched the trailer, I got a very strong vibe from like some of the Simon Yam films, like uh, Hong Kong Gigolo or what is it, uh, Gigolo and whore and. and some of the themes in those films, is it, is it similar to that or is that just a misreading when watching the trailer?
1: Well, I'm not quite sure because I never saw saw those films. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we're talking, if we bring back the social realism stuff that uh, the writer Yi Yang has done, this, this really veers quite far away from it, especially the way it's handled. I mean, it's not as preachy. As as her previous films, uh, all about love, especially it was very preachy about the stuff that the issues is trying to handle. But this movie is about rich people, you know, people who have money to pretty much do anything, and except you know, except they can't to, for, even enough money to feel, fulfill their their sexual desires. But you know, I don't know, I want not see how the lives of these three people really affect us, and how why it has to become so self important. It's essentially about spoiled housewives who get into trouble who gets put themselves in trouble Uh, there's very little reason to really truly care about these people Um, especially with their social status I mean it's kind of one of those um, I mean Cantonese they kind of bring it onto themselves situation and it's really hard to convince people to to, I guess to identify themselves these women uh, these rich women you know, who how, how
0: would you say it stacks up to similarly, similarly themed films we've seen recently, like, um, say, last year's Girls or a couple years ago, um, uh, Chapman and uh, Leon Lies? What was it? Moonlight in Tokyo? Moonlight in
1: Tokyo. Yeah. Well, Moonlight in Tokyo, at least, is comedy. Um, and in some way, again, like this, like this one is kind of a, one of those 80s style movies where you have really abrupt genre shifts. Um I'm not a big fan of Moonlight in Tokyo, even though uh, I like some parts of it. Um, but I think I like Moonlight in Tokyo better. Um, Girls, I think, handles the... Uh, I think it knows itself a lot better than uh, Calvin Poon knows his own movie, in a way. I think uh, Kenneth B, he's kind of doing a director for hire thing, but at least he he knows how to handle the material, how to pre- I guess how to balance the trashy elements with the serious elements so that it's not really particularly preachy. Um, it's very much like a spectator movie that is kind of present. This is what it is. Um, high fidelity kind of does that, but it, it really presents a really ludicrous vision of, of, of the theme of, of the uh, issue at hand. Um, so it's not really a, a movie that would, that anyone should take seriously, even though it takes itself so seriously. Um, but for, I guess for, for my category, for, for my for my rating, I have to split it into three. Um, see it, if you're really a fan of one of those glamour, trashy cinema, um, like, you know, you watch Lifetime movies every day, you know, like, like they're your afternoon pastimes. I think you might get something. You might enjoy this, really. You get a laugh out of it. Um, you go in thinking it's trashy and you're ready to laugh and you bring a friend and you two just kind of take the piss at it the whole time for 90 minutes. It's really fun. Um, TV it, if you want to see, you know, three Hong Kong actresses going at it again, I was talking about Cherry Chung and Maggie Chung. These three are definitely not at that caliber, kind of more like a, they're at least two steps away from them. But, you know, it's nice to see them doing it, doing their thing, Hong Kong actresses doing their thing in sync sound, not dubbed, um, not speaking Mandarin. So TV it, for those people who want to see that. But anyone who expects to see, like, a serious exploration um, of, of the uh, you know, issues about women who, middle-aged women who need, who need to fulfill their sexual desire, blah, blah. Yeah, skip it. You're, you're going to be disappointed because it's, just, it's all, it's this really trashy movie. Anyone who, who believes this is to be a feminist movie should, yeah, should really look up feminism again.
0: <laughs> yeah. And uh, if you're, you know, if all else fails, you can turn to uh, Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo.
1: Yeah, because that is really actually, I think that could be a more serious exploration into
0: (laughs) prostitution
1: than High Fidelity. I'm sorry, High Fidelity. Fidelity.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right, let's move on to our second East Screen film for this week. And that is the latest Johnny Toe and Y Ka Fai uh, vehicle uh, called Don't Go Breaking My Heart. So, Kevin, as I said, haven't had a chance to see this. Why don't you take us through it?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, White Coffee only actually takes up a screenwriting credit. He says so himself that on uh, this production, uh, the the work between the two are quite divided. Uh, as in, White Coffee mainly worked on the script, and Johnny Toe really directed the film on his own, I guess. Um, first of all, this this is another office comedy made by White, written by White Coffee, and directed by Johnny Toe. So it will be extra rewarding. If you watch Needing You, the Andy Lau and Sammy Chan movie, before you watch, don't go breaking my heart. Uh, and it is now on Blu-ray. That message was brought to you by YesAsia.com. Um, you can buy on YesAsia.com. Remember, buy on YesAsia.com. Yeah. OK. Keep, <laughs>
0: keep Kevin in the job, please. <laughs>
1: yes, yes. Keep us, all of us in the job. Anyway, so this, uh, like I said, this 12 years, uh, made 12 years after Needing You. And it actually makes for a really interesting comparison piece. Um, it is another white coffee office romantic comedy i think he hasn't made one actually since needing needing you uh i am going to do a quick search and i think st- um
0: well it's not really an office comedy but he did have the one in the fat suits
1: uh, love on a diet yeah, yeah that 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 is a pairing with Andy Lau and sammy that came after needing you but if we're talking about a strictly uh romantic comedy that, that takes place in the office um that would be Uh, actually don't go breaking My Heart will be the first since needing you um and that's kind of interesting um this time the 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 emphasis however is heavier on the uh, romance part than the office you remember needing you um had a lot of office politics uh rumors i recently watched this a few days ago so so i can i can remember this Uh, a lot more things about office politics and and how uh Gossip, gossip mills, and things like that. Um, here, a lot of those are taken out and replaced by the romance stuff. Um, the story is about um, Zhi Yin, uh, a girl from the mainland, professional from the mainland, who is uh, played by Gao Yanran, uh, who was in *City of Life and Death*. She works in a, in a financial firm, um, uh, and like, like I guess many, many brilliant financial people, they work in central. Um, she she's been recently dumped by her boyfriend whom whom uh was the reason that she moved to Hong Kong. Um and heartbroken, um, she meets uh Daniel Wu, uh I guess a fail failed architect, um, named um God, I look up these names. What's his name? Sorry, one second.
0: Well if, if Hong Kong movies have taught us anything, the names don't really matter. His name's probably Daniel Wu, right? his name is probably daniel yes um
1: no his name is chi hong yeah yeah chi hong um who 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 kind of looks like a raggedy homeless guy but is actually a a failing alcoholic who who uses alcohol to try and feel inspiration again but uh, after their they have kind of a one day stand uh without the sex um they they were to meet again later on but then she ends up meeting um Shenran, uh, played by Louis Koo, who, who works in an office which is actually across the way from her, and um, they almost kind of had a romance going, except Shenran is kind of a womanizer who chose to have a one night stand instead of um, going on a date with uh, Ji So three years later, the the two, uh, Shenran and 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 Ji bump into each, each other again after uh, Shenran becomes the boss of her, her of her company, um, and of course the romance develops there. But then uh, Qi Hong also comes back by moving into the office that Shenyan used to be in. So it kind of creates literally a, a triangle, a love triangle between the three. So now Ji to has to choose between the two. Um, first of all, the most interesting thing here is that the film is dealing with professional from the mainland. Um, there are quite a bit, a, a large influx of that uh, recently in recent years. Um, mainland educated or probably foreign educated people, professionals from the mainland, uh, taking on professional jobs like in financial sector. And uh, I'm not sure if that's that's if you see more of that in your in your uh, area, uh, Paul, in education.
0: Uh, well, there's a, you know there is a big move of uh, mainland students, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you saw this sort of on the tail end of your study. Um, but in, when I was studying the, my second degree, almost all of my classmates were from the mainland, whereas my first degree, um, it was almost all locals. So there's been a dynamic shift in terms of, you know, the, the student population. And I think over time, you're going to see more and more of that in the professorship and the professional population as well. Um, and uh, as you're talking about this, it reminds me of uh, last year's house of 72 tenants right i mean you remember who the savior of the day was yep for for that it was this big mainland executive who kind of comes in and uh you know no holds barred uh whatever you guys need in terms of money right yeah yeah um yeah i mean i most of my
1: classmates in film school were were from uh are from the mainland uh i also date one of those influx mainland students um or used to be student i guess so definitely a sign of the times remember needing you um the only mainlanders that uh the characters dealt with was uh when andy crossed the border to shenzhen to deal with the bosses no 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 mainlanders in the offices uh all locals all cantonese definitely a sign of the times and i think intentionally so i think white coffee um um Chose the main character to be a mainlander, not only because for market demand, not only because they're making a the film for the mainland, but also is kind of trying to indicate uh, things that are happening now. Uh, especially, also the film also deals with the financial crisis and Lehman Brothers and things like that, only briefly. But uh, yeah, I think this film is kind of an update to to Needing You, even though even in uh, in uh, characters. Um, and that's very interesting. I think, uh, kind of, it's, it's kind of a way to see more than just what you see on the surface. Um, it's true. I've been, I've, I've heard from someone that likes the movie that this could have been two different movies. It could have been one, one movie for each suitor. One with, um, one film with the guy, the womanizer, the trying to turn the womanizer into, uh, I guess, a regular, committed. Uh, significant other, and another one about how this 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 girl changes uh, helps this lost uh, professional man find his way find his way again in his career. But I, I like the tension from the situation, uh, the two fighting for the one or the one having to choose between the two. This two these two qualify essentially qualify men that it it makes the film quite involving because you're never quite sure who Jisun will choose in the end. And I like that tension, especially in the very last scene where you really have no idea where it's about to go. Uh, both actors are great. Both the male actors are great. Louis is great as the womanizer. I think the actual title is the is is uh, aho. Of course, they don't actually say aho in the in the subtitles. You know, the, the double S is in there. Uh, he he's funny uh, as always. He's he's really good at playing comedy as a straight. With a straight face, um, kind of a silly character with a straight face. He has a really handsome face, but he's he all he's also also often the most immature characters, and I like that. And that's really where a lot of his uh, comedy skills are from, and he's great as that. Daniel Wu plays really the best man ever. Uh, he even speaks, he even always also spends the almost the entire film in Mandarin. I guess not only for the mainland market, but he seems to learn perfect Mandarin for Jishin for some reason. Um and uh and he's good as that you know i think i think a lot of daniel Wu fans will be will be very very happy because he is playing almost a flawless man here um Yuan i've been told does not do much commercial films in the in the mainland uh, and i think don't go to breaking my heart proves that she should um this could be it could be uh thanks to johnny toe uh, having used to direct you know Sammy Chang and and, and C. Chun and things like that. I mean, she has he has experience with with um I guess directing act actresses and it's I think mean, he also helped Gao make the transition from from doing artsy I guess more serious art films into kind of a comedic comedic uh romantic comedy lead and it works here. She I think mean, she should do more of these comedy. Um she's really she's good she looks great in the film and she she has a lot of emotions, uh, a lot, of, a lot of range, and she's quite good in the film.
0: Um, how does the, get, how does the film compare with, um, like, I mean, Louis Koo's character compare with his character in Love for All Seasons? Because I, if I remember, that's another Johnny To, Yikafai, uh, venture, and, yes. and that he's kind of very, you know this very sort of misogynist. I mean, overly so because that's like a a super cheesy New Year comedy. Yeah. Um, but is he kind of like just channeling that same kind of uh, identity? I think it's more likable here. Um, he's also less over the top,
1: like you said. It, that was a uh, Love for All Season. That was, uh, was a rem- uh, Lunar New Year comedy, so he could, he was able to play things uh, a little more over the top. Here is um you again having. I think he's he's a more likable character here in that way that you could see, you could be convinced that uh, Jishin could have chosen him but cuz uh, you mean, you, end, you
0: mentioned yeah. that they call him an a-hole I mean, he's listed yeah, yeah. as as the a-hole character i mean yeah. is it so much so that you don't want to root for him or is no it- i
1: think he definitely has redeeming qualities here he has many the, the how do i say the romance the romance between jishin and shenron it's not really convincing to the point that it has such an effect on jishin um, but you could see why they would click together. It's easy. You could also, you could also see why she, she could choose him as easy. She could as easily, uh, she is as, he is as good as a choice as a Daniel Wu character. So which kind of makes things better, uh, more, the tension is even better because you really don't know who she's going to choose in the end. Um, that, but then with that, the film is kind of too long. Uh, it takes too long to get to that, that scene where she finally has to choose, and and the film really doesn't, it, it really lacks a ending, something to wrap things up because the film literally ends right after she makes the choice, um, and I'm not gonna, of course, I'm not gonna spoil what the choice is, but the film literally ends right after that, and I think it it's almost kind of um too quick, it almost kind of does injustice to the character, not only to the one not only to the one that she didn't choose, but really to, the, to wrap up the story, it, it kind of, it's kind of unsatisfying. Hmm. Um, but even then, I mean, the film already runs 115 minutes long, so I could understand that.
0: Um, the trailer, it seems to show that they're really doing a bilingual sync sound. Is that true? The film, I don't know,
1: it sounded like it was shot with sync sound. Um, I'm not sure about Daniel Wu um, because he does speak mostly Mandarin. Um and even though my girlfriend said her his, his Mandarin is still she well, she said that his man, Daniel Wu's Mandarin reminded her of Edison Chan's Mandarin. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what that But is, like
0: that, Louis Koo so. is speaking Cantonese. Cantonese. And yes, he's, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the female protagonist is speaking Mandarin, right? All Mandarin. So course, they're, all, they're 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 yeah. just going they're just going back and forth in their native uh tongues, but they understand each other. Is yeah, that, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I wish much. more I wish more movies would do that rather than you know, I, we've talked about dubbing before, um, so that you know that's a plus in my book when, when directors choose to go that route.
1: Well, the most interesting thing is that actually the, the office that the Jishin, the Gao character, is in is actually a multinational uh, company. So you see um, Indians, uh, you see a Caucasian worker, you also see someone wearing uh, this, uh, one of those um, the hats that that Jewish people wear. Um, the sure. yeah. yeah, the Yamaka <laughs> you see all these people there in the occupy the office, and that's really the most. Even though, again, it's one of those over the top, toe, toe, uh, visual things uh, that I'm sure no Jewish person wear the yarmulke in the office. It's really interesting. Darren in
0: Shalabi doesn't those. bust in at one point and start yelling at people, and they're burning incense. Yeah,
1: yeah, it doesn't really deal with the mo. Multi- it doesn't really deal with the Motu culture, but just the fact that toe and white Cafe, they build an office like that. That's really great visual to see. Uh, of course um, and you know I think we can't ignore, we can't talk about this film without talking the fact that this is I guess the first Johnny Toe movie that is really aiming directly for the mainland market Um, especially with the protagonist speaking Mandarin and things like that. With that um, because this is a romantic comedy so there's definitely not not really much things that would offend the the, 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 the authorities Um, and I think to has really made a wise choice in picking a romantic comedy to be his first, I guess, mainland-oriented film. Um, the result doesn't feel like it's pandering to mainland audiences as opposed to Hong Kong because it's still a Hong Kong story, and it still deals with a lot of, I guess, Hong Kong locations, and you know, you still have Louis Koo's character speaking Cantonese. And in a way, I think it brings a, it strikes a, a good balance between the mainland market and pleasing the Hong Kong market because there's still a lot of Hong Kong, I guess, Cantonese jokes. At the same time as there is a lot of um, physical slash Mandarin jokes that would work for 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 Chinese viewers. Um, and with that, I think it's it's easily, you know, Johnny Toe's best film since Mad Detective. Um, I think Sparrow was too loose and too, too I guess, wishy-washy um, to really be as good as Don't Go Breaking My Heart. There's commercial entertainment. It's a film that I guess the typical Milky Way fanboy might not might ign- easily ignore, but I I still think it's Johnny Toe's best film since Matt Detective, which, if I may point out, is another White Ka film. Remember, Johnny Toe works with a guy named White Kaffee. Um and with that, you know, don't go I think don't go breaking my heart with this year's pick so far. This might be really the best Hong Kong film I've seen this year so far.
0: All right. So your final uh your final judgment would be to see it f- or yeah, T V it? I, and- I think See it uh, for most people, especially for dates, uh,
1: people who like the stars, people who like the people who want to watch good romantic comedy. Um, it might be a TV it for, you know, action fans, action Milky Way fans. Uh, but otherwise, I, I say I say see it.
0: All right. All right. Let's take a short break and we'll have this interlude with uh, George Lamb from his 1976 album singing the title song of uh, by elton john from that film that kevin just talked about mm-hmm. To the East Screen, West Screen Podcast. Visit concast.com for more. All right, don't go freaking right. Oh, whoop. <laughs> Sing it, Kevin. Sing it. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Alright, that's going to wrap it up for East Screen. I think it's time to move on to West Screen films for this week. We've got uh, two to talk about. This segment is brought to you by NeonPunch.com, the Hong Kong-based tech blog that covers gadgets, gear, and popular culture. Visit NeonPunch.com to get your tech on. All right, our first film for this week is the cartoon animated film... Nomeo and Juliet. Um, Now, Kevin, you haven't seen this, so I guess the ball's all in my court. Um, This is a film coming from director Kelly Asbury, if I'm saying that correctly, who has been working in animation. I mean, if you look at his bio over on IMDb, he's all over the place, Um, working as a storyboard artist, working as a writer. Um, He's also directed films before. He directed Spirit, Um, the... It was a two traditional two D animation about um, Wild Horse and Shrek Two, which you know some people didn't think was anywhere near as good as Shrek One, but still a valid effort. Um, and so here he brings us Romeo and Juliet, which is basically a reinterpretation, a reimagining, if you will, of the classic William Shakespeare play. Um, as you might expect, there's as a result there's a lot of reference to and humor around. Uh, gags and little inferences and little bits of intertextuality with regard to uh, the Shakespeare play. Uh, it's got a great cast. It's got uh, voice actors, the the main character of Nomeo by James McAvoy, and Juliet is Emily Blunt, but you've also got Michael Caine and Maggie Smith, Jason Statham, Patrick Stewart, Ozzy Osbourne, uh, and even Hulk Hogan, who's got a, a, a very minor role, but a very funny one, which I'll talk about in just a moment. So basically, this is the story of Romeo and Juliet, except told from the perspective of garden gnomes. Um, and there are these two people who live next to each other, uh, Mrs. If I've got it correctly, Mrs., Mrs. Montague and Mr. Capulet, based on you know the family names of the Montagues and the Capulets from the classic play. And each of them has a fascination; they hate each other. Uh, and they, but they each have a fascination in their gardens with garden gnomes. Mrs. Montague's gnomes are all blue, and Mr. Capulet's gnomes are all red. They all have red caps and red coloring, um, and the two sides um, are opposed to each other, and basically they spring to life when no one is looking. Um, so there's a little bit of a, it's a little bit derivative of Toy Story, which some people might find kind of problematic, but, if you can get beyond it, uh, it, it does work okay. Some of, the, some of the humor some of the gags are based on that, that idea of, oh, there's a human there, suddenly we have to all stop and we can't move uh, kind of idea that was working in Toy Story. Uh, here, it, it, it plays out okay. I mean, Garden Gnomes, I guess, is a fairly unique cultural phenomena that appears in the U.K. and somewhat in the U.S. I'm not sure. I've, I've never seen any Garden Gnomes here in Hong Kong. Um, so I'm not really sure how well this will play. Uh, but the audience that I was in attendance with seemed to en- enjoy the film. And I enjoyed the film. Uh, it's got some really good animation, and, and the textures are amazing. Because, again, these garden gnomes are not real gnomes, but they're cer- they're ceramic. So when you do some close-ups of the faces of the main characters, you see, um, you see some of the ceramic texture and some chipping and the paint... And for me, you know, as, as, as a, you know, somebody who loves art and artwork and doing art myself, that kind of stuff I find really, really amazing. The story itself, though, is, is quite, you know, predictable. You know, the story of Romeo and Juliet, you kind of know what to expect here. It follows along um, in, in similar lines, instead of, you know, having sword fights, they have uh, lawnmower duels and lawn, they use lawn, the lawnmowers as basically like dragsters. And the idea is that they each, you know, are part of the garden and they, they you know, they attack each other's gardens and try and ruin each other's gardens. Um, and then, of course, Romeo, Nomeo meets, uh, has a chance meeting with uh, Juliet and the two end up falling for each other despite the family tensions and the family rivalry. Um, I think that, Overall, though the film could have done more to make itself a bit unique, Um, it is uh, there's a lot of Shakespeare humor, which, as a sort of a uh, a fan of the Bard and a former thespian, uh, I really got into. Uh, that really sold the film for me. But I was thinking, if you're approaching this as somebody who, you know, doesn't really know Shakespeare, is not a Shakespeare fan, maybe you've seen, you know, Leonardo's Romeo and Juliet or something, but you're not really that into it, you're going to be missing all these little jokes and these sort of in, you know, in-joke references to the play. Um, And kids are certainly not going to pick up on all that stuff, um, unless you have a kid who's like a savant and he's, you know, into drama and and into reading Shakespeare at an early age, the target audience is really not going to get a lot of this stuff. So I think that it's probably not going to work for the general population uh, as much as it could have. And it's still, it's fairly light and, and fun and approachable. And if you have kids, they'll probably have a good time at it. They'll, they'll have a good time with it. And it's not impossible to have a good time with it, If you, again, if you are a person who doesn't really get into Shakespeare that much. But I think you'd appreciate it a whole lot more um, if you if you do have a history of, you know, seeing the plays and knowing the plays and things. Um, the interesting thing is is that, you know, the song that we just played during the break, uh, Don't Go Breaking the Heart, originally done by Elton John, um, and it's, you know, it has some bearing here too because This film is all about Elton John music. The the whole soundtrack is like originals and remixes of Elton John songs, including Don't Go Breaking My Heart, um, which kind of seems weird. It seems out of place. I'm not really sure I liked it. I mean, I like Elton John music well enough. It just didn't, you know, I'm thinking, all right, well, what is the connection with gnomes? Not really seeing it. What is the connection with Shakespeare? Not really seeing that either. It's it it still works as much as any movie that takes popular music and sticks it in, uh, but it could have been better, I guess. And do, it, do th- they have the, the gnomes actually singing? And the, no, the they don't. They don't. It, this isn't a musical in that sense. It's more like if you remember uh, Tarzan, the Disney animation. Did you see that one? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Phil Collins did the soundtrack, but it was just songs, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but. Tarzan himself never sang so it wasn't like you know the Little Mermaid or anything like that. Yeah. It's the same kind of idea here the music just plays and they have montages and things and um, and it was really weird and even like they have some uh, weird references to Elton John in a couple places and I'm like wow Elton John's all over this and then while I'm watching the credits I see right there produced by Elton John and yeah. it suddenly all made sense and I guess because he was the film's producer free soundtrack, right? Uh, they hmm. don't have to do spend a lot of money on, on remixing, and he gets his music heard by a new generation of young people and brings up new fans. So, you know, hey, it's it's a win-win. And again, I, I'm not opposed to Elton John music. I just, when I was watching it, it felt kind of, kind of strange. Um, the film itself has been really bounced around quite a bit as I was doing some research on it and looking at some of the history. It was originally proposed to Disney, and then it was pushed off to... A couple other places, and it finally landed in uh, Stars Animation and Touchstone, who ended up distributing it. Now, Stars Animation is a studio out of Canada, I guess, and they're working with like this a lot of the stuff you see on the Stars, um, the Stars Network now, I guess, like uh, Spartacus or Camelot or some of the new uh, series they're doing. But this is for Touchstone. Uh, this is the first animation they've done. Since 1993, which was a Nightmare Before Christmas, um, so well,
1: Touchstone is actually uh, a subsidiary of Disney. Touchstone are are is they the still? Yeah, yeah Every, everything so. yeah.
0: everything's so incestuous these days. It's hard to, you know, it's it's hard to figure out who's under what anymore. But uh, you're what I call the, the serious,
1: the serious like of Walt Disney, yeah. essentially. Well, like, so you know,
0: what from what I read, I think over on Wikipedia, it basically said that this was a project. That was getting pushed f- by Disney until um, John Lasseter um, did something with Pixar and then they got rid of it and it end- ended up making its way to Stars and Touchstone. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I think,
1: I, I'm not sure why Disney wouldn't put this on their label. I guess it's because they didn't produce it on their own. Yeah, Is that part
0: I, of it? I, I, I think so. Um, it's hard to tell, but in, in any event. Um, I would say it's a it's fun if you love Shakespeare and you love animation. It's a see it. Um, if not, I'd say you can wait for TV. You know, it'll be a good. It'll be one of those ones you can put on and let the kids watch um, over and over again. And I think they'll they'll get into it. Uh, but they're again a lot of the humor that's Shakespeare related. They're just not going to get. <laughs> All right, our second film for West Green this week. As I said, the long awaited Zack Snyder film Sucker Punch. Um, now Kevin you also haven't seen this, right?
1: No, I plus I I kind of despise Zack Snyder. Really? Sorry.
0: Oh. Yeah, I never found what he did
1: really that. I mean, I liked the the only thing I really liked by him was Dawn of the Dead. I thought 300 was could have been an hour long, if they didn't use all the uh, slow motion mm-hmm. and Watchmen didn't really excite me. I guess yeah. I guess he's a good st- visual visual stylist, but he was never really a great director. I think it's always uh, kind of style over substance, and you know, style is just kind of the relative. But that's right. just me.
0: <laughs> and you can send your nerd rage mail to Kevin Ma at Kevin Ma dot com. No. Um. <laughs> all right. So, Sucker Punch. Um. Wow. Uh. All right. Let me talk a little bit about the story. The basically, it starts off. Um. It, there's almost no. There's a little bit of narrative. Um. Uh, by the the I guess it's Emily Browning's character. She plays a girl named Baby Doll. And very early on, we're shown this montage sequence. There's no dialogue, but a montage sequence of her and a young sister and a stepfather and a mother. The mother passes away. The stepfather seems a bit abusive and is at some point is going to abuse the young daughter because he can't he's not strong enough to abuse Emily Browning. And she gets a gun and she shoots at him, misses, um, causes a light to explode, and accidentally kills the young sister. Um, she's then taken off to a mental institution, a sanitarium for the criminally insane. And because of some, you know, some bribery the father is able to get her – the stepfather is able to get her committed and she is due to be – to undergo the procedure of um, – oh, what is it called when they cut your brain? Uh, uh, lobotomy. Lobotomy, yes. Uh, I'm, I'm having a lobotomy right now. Um, <laughs> and so that sets up the basic story, uh, her getting into this this narrative. The whole – Opening part is this montage. There's very little dialogue, almost no dialogue. It's shot very much MTV style, which you, if, you, if you've seen other Zack Snyder stuff, you're, you'd recognize it immediately. Um, it's very stylized. So they get into the sanitarium, and I will say that sets up the first world, if you will. Now, in the sanitarium, uh, there are all these other girls... And there's a doctor uh, who's in charge of the girls. Her name is, uh, if I can find it here, Doctor Gorski, and she's in charge of doing therapy with the girls. And part of that therapy involves being on stage and you know doing some acting and some performing. In the, and, and the the setting of this first world is very gray and sort of washed out, and so. The film jumps to this second world, which is the girls on stage, I guess, and it's a lot more colorful, and they're, they're, they're sort of acting out these roles as dancers, as performers, but they're owned by uh, this sort of, you know, the club owner who's named Blue, who's also one of the orderlies at the sanitarium. Have I lost you yet? <laughs> um, yeah, so there's this whole second reality that's going on, which I guess is representative of the, of the stage or representative of imagination of these girls right and so in this reality, in this second reality, uh baby doll is brought in and she meets this is where she meets girls who are the other inmates, but they're also performers in this second world um these these other girls, sweet pea rocket, amber. Uh, and Blondie. Okay. And so the girls start bonding together um and so it's it's a team of 5 basically. Um and and Baby Doll decides she's going to break out. Um and she figures out that there are um in order to do so there are 5 things that they have to do, there are 5 things they have to get. Um but the way she figures that out is because she is in this second world, she's the new dancer, and apparently she's a virgin, I guess. So they're going to have somebody, this this high roller who's coming in who's going to be paying money to, you know, take her virginity, I guess. Um, and so the girls, even though they're dancers, it's kind of like a brothel. And, wow, it's just, it's it's so <laughs> complex to talk about. It's... It's and it's the thing is, is it's actually not that complex and so the <laughs> parallel is is that the high roller coming in five days is the lobotomy doctor in the sanitarium who's coming in five days to give her the lobotomy okay so she's got five days to get out of the sanitarium. and so that plan becomes part of the plan in the second world to escape the brothel in five days. and so then, in order to get the things that they need she dances in this second world she she does this very erotic dance supposedly that stuns people and and causes them to lose focus and not pay attention to anything else going on around them now you never see her dance right because <laughs> when she starts to dance it opens up the third world which is this which is which is what basically what you're shown in the trailer most of the time these ultra crazy fantasy mis- mishmashes of stuff. And in this third world is where she meets her mentor, played by Scott Glenn, who simply goes known as the wise man. And he says, all right, here are these five things that you need if you want to escape. And so the dancing, right, when she's dancing, and they go into this third world, what's happening is she's fighting. And the fighting's taking place in all these kind of different genres. One's like at an Asian temple. Another one's like in this World War II thing. Another one's in this fantasy realm. Another one's in this science fiction train. So it's really crazy stuff. Now, so you've got these three levels of narrative. You, you might be thinking, oh, that's kind of like Inception-esque, really. And, and it is in, in some ways. Um, but once you understand that, that's all there is to the film. Okay. It's, it's basically girls needing to escape from male misogyny. Um, you've got the team of five, which is the very classic thing. You see it in Sailor Moon. You see it in Power Rangers. Um, th- there's a whole bunch of narration that goes on in the beginning and at the end of the film, which is way – the end part is really way too much. It's really way overdone. Um, and I had a hard time with these three narratives, these three storylines. Uh, especially the middle storyline, I, I had a hard time figuring out why the because the middle storyline basically just parallels the first storyline, the in the sanitarium. So why are they going to this second level? And it's basically everybody's everything's a bit cleaner, it's more colorful. But what is it? It's covering for something. And then I kind of got the idea that it was it was covering something really bad going on in the first world. Um, but that's just an idea I have, and, and that's something we can talk about after you see the film and we'll do a spoiler session. Mm-hmm. Um, so, all right. The, the, but mostly this film is about the visuals going on in the third in the third, ru- the third wo- world or dream state or whatever you want to call it. Uh, lots and lots of game and movie references. Um, you know, it, it, there's just a lot of par- – I wouldn't say parody, but uh, uh, pastiche going on. I mean, there's just so much – that is cramping together from movies, from geek culture, from video games, from Asian pop culture, tons of stuff. I mean, in every sequence, you can see half a dozen different references to stuff. Um, So, okay, we get it. Zack Snyder is the king of geek culture, and he knows how to pull this stuff off visually. The third world is super dynamic. There's a lot of action. Um, it's, It's all green screen stuff, and it plays very well. I think it's enjoyable, but I think beyond the gamer geek core that Zack Snyder draws, the general audience is going to kind of kind of a hard time of making sense of this third world mishmash. You know, because for example, in one world it's medieval, but the girls are flying a B fifty two bomber, and they end up having a dogfight with a dragon. So, you know, it's just all kinds of craziness going on, and. I think it would be really interesting to to break this down and into its three different parts and re-edit it and just play the story, the narratives back-to-back of of each world and see uh, how they play individually. Um, But World 3, really, I mean, every time you you go into this world, it's dynamic, it's it's exciting, there's a lot of action. Um, It plays too much like MTV vignettes because the soundtrack is a lot of songs. You've got songs from... Uh, you know, Jefferson Starship, and you've got songs from Bjork, and and all kinds of like pop and, and rock songs going on in the background. And, and a couple of the actresses actually, actually do their own covers of some of the songs. A lot of people love the soundtrack, but because it's just music and action image, again, it's kind of very much like just watching extended MTV videos. Uh, Scott Glenn is great. I've always liked Scott Glenn. He's got some awesome one-liners that he comes in. I kept waiting for him to say a line from uh, Buck Banzai at one point, but he didn't. Uh, but he has a line like, uh, you know, what is the, uh, never never cash a, a check with your mouth, or, or never write a check with your mouth that you can't cash with your ass, All right? So that that's some of the wisdom that he spouts uh, from his character. So it's kind of Fun and cheesy in, in in parts, but you've got this whole middle narrative that's a bit more like a Thelma and Louise kind of a thing going on. Again, it's very misogynistic in places um, with, you know, men just abusing and mistreating women for the most part. But then you've got this whole other angle of girl power, um, which, you know, if if you were looking at it from a feminist perspective, you could say these girls are empowered, but they're empowered wearing sailor uniforms and wearing you know, tight leather and that kind of an idea. So it's definitely, there's a lot of fetishism, a lot of male fantasy thrown in here, and it's just visual eye candy. I mean, the narrative's not really that engaging with what's going on. By the end of it all, you think, wow, but the story was kind of meh. So I would say that, you know, for gamers and geeks, they're going to see it anyway, but this is definitely a see it. It's it warrants repeated viewing because you want to go back and you want to find the little stuff, the little references that you missed. Um, But for the general audience, eh, you know, they'd probably be okay with just watching it uh, as a, you know, on Blu-ray or watching it on TV. Uh, But to be fair, a side note, my wife loved it, you know, and she's not a geek. She's not really into the geek stuff. And she really got. I think she was really drawn in by the girls and you know their narrative in that sort of middle world, and you know what was happening and how they were doing these things. And she liked the visuals too. But I think on the some levels, you know, the, the, it was the characters that drew her in. So,
1: wait. So it sounds like it's another Zack Snyder movie. It sounds like I'm not gonna. I'm gonna hate on this. Yeah. Know. If you don't. <laughs> if
0: you. If you haven't liked Zack Snyder up to this point you're probably not going to like this. Um, He's doing
1: is I liked, I liked Dawn of the dead, which is when him, he was at his, I guess, least showy. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was a fun movie, but yeah, when he started doing, you know, and
0: and this is all, this is all about the show. And again, some people have criticized that he should stick to doing other people's stuff. He shouldn't write his own stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. So 300 Watchmen, uh, Dawn of the dead, all material that he was adapting. Uh, whereas this is kind of original. I, th- I think it's very clear that he had some really cool ideas for sequences. And those ideas come out in the third world. And the first and the second world are attempts to try and make an excuse for that third world. Um, and for a lot of people, I don't think that what goes on in the first and second world... Are strong enough or make enough, are going to make enough sense for that third world to be successful.
1: So, so why do you think uh, the film hasn't done well in, in, in the United States? I mean, it didn't, it opened behind, I think, Diary of Wimpy Kid 2, and it dropped 70% uh, in the second weekend. It's, this is another one of those, do you think it's another one of those Scott Pilgrim situations where the, the web buzz, ended up being a large, lot larger than the actual number of uh audience that was interested in yeah, the film I th- those geek
0: syndrome. I think it's all? possible. Um I think that I think that uh you know word of mouth may harm the film again because it's getting kind of mediocre reviews. Mm. Um and you know again there's not a lot of competition going on right now. Uh I think you tweeted about the numbers over the past weekend, which were not really that good mm-hmm. uh, in comparison with some of the other stuff that's playing. So, yeah, it's just, it, it's, it's not bad. I mean, again, I would my rating would be, uh, you know, if you're somebody who's liked his work up to now, if you're somebody who's really into games and to geek culture and to movie culture, this is definitely a see it just for the experience of it. Um, but I think for the general audience, it's, gonna, it's a hard sell. Uh, I, you know, even I my mom is a gamer, but I don't think she would get into this story that much.
1: Yeah, I, I'm not into Zack Snyder, but I think I will try and catch on a big screen. Just, you know, I know it's a visual thing. It is. Thing yeah, and, it yeah, it yeah, is. I mean, it's definitely
0: I the, the, the stuff going on in the third world is impressive enough and visually exciting enough that it is worth a big screen watch. I mean, I was fortunate enough to see it in IMAX. I don't know if I would say that it's a must-see in IMAX. Thankfully, it's not 3D, um, but it's definitely, you know, that third world. There's enough there that I'd say it's, if you're somebody who likes movies and and likes visual spectacle, you know, that's worth it. But by the end of it all, I think you're going to remember more about what was going on there and the stuff you saw than any of the stuff in the first and the second world. And then the closing narration, which tries to, you know make the final point about everything uh which I, I again i said was kind of overdone. All right. I think that's going to wrap up our show for this week. Well, oh, it's been so long since we've done one of these. I've kind of forgotten how to do it. Woo-hoo! Um Yeah, uh let's see any cl- any final thoughts there Mr. Ma? Um
1: no, I mean, I hope, I hope I'll see more people,
0: I guess, next year at
1: the film festival. Um, I hope, sorry for all the stuttering this episode, kind of the pointless meandering stuff. It's, It's been three weeks, so I, I'm kind of getting used to being back on the this review thing. So uh, hopefully I'll be back next week, I guess. Hopefully back. a better show. Bigger and better. Yes, bigger and better. I'm not sure where in bigger, but uh,
0: at least try to be that better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, as always, if you'd like to follow along with what you're doing, you can check in with the website, www.concast.com, or you can look over at iTunes and leave us a review if you like what we're doing or you'd like us to do something different. You can follow along on Twitter at Congcast. That's twitter.com slash Congcast. Or you can follow Mr. Ma at twitter.com slash thegoldenrock. And you can email us if you'd like to send us an email. You can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com. And we can take questions or short MP3 files if you'd like to ask a question here on the air, and we can play that. And if you'd like to follow along with some of the other things that Mr. Ma is doing with regard to his writing, uh, where can they find you at, sir?
1: Um, I review movies on uh, www.ypmovies.com.hk. Uh, this week I hopefully will be doing Limitless and uh, Rio. Um, also write reviews for LoveHJFilm.com um, I think I might be writing a review for Punish the, the latest Milky Way film soon um, I also write in the Yumcha section in the in YesAsia.com you can find me uh, under the nickname Rockman and also check out the work by other great editors working at YesAsia.com um or I guess you could email me some hate mail at thegoldenrock at gmail.com. Uh, I am sorely lacking in hate mail that make no sense. And I'm very eager to read it on the air. So please, please, nonsensical hate mail. <laughs> I want nonsensical hate mails.
0: Wasn't Rockman the name of Mega Man in Japan?
1: I would have no idea <laughs> Um I I, I really have to, I really have no uh it I have no idea why I came up with Rockman. I, I should have come up a better if if anything, it just says I need someone to name names for me. Mm. Yes.
0: Yeah. Allison, <laughs> yes. get on that. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well that's gonna do it for this week. Next time we will be back to talk about um, looks like Rio and if we can find a theater playing it, maybe the new martial arts film Lay Foot. Truly with, uh, with uh, Sammo, is that right? Yeah, Sammo and uh, Dennis. I played it man one's toe. Yeah, it, but it's not, it's like at two theaters. So we don't know if we're going to be able to see it. Uh, but hopefully we'll be able to talk about that next time. We got a lot of big movies coming up at the end of April, um, like Lost Bladesman and uh, Chinese Ghost Story and a whole bunch of other stuff on the horizon. So, dude, good hop. Be... We got to be watching. Hop. Right? Yeah, with yes. the, the Hoff. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, lots of stuff to look forward to. And we're glad to be back. Hopefully we'll have a a good series of shows fairly uninterrupted in the coming weeks. Uh, So until then, we will, as usual, wish you good viewing. And we'll see you next time. See you
1: next time, everybody.
0: not this week we definitely we next week right we've got the eason movie yeah we were debating lost and bladesman Rod, and i don't
1: know Rod, Rod, ross even asked he was like yeah should we watch uh the east the, the mr and mrs single or sex is and greedy i was like why do you even have to ask i was like come on you know it's gotta be sex and then
0: really seriously <laughs> what seriously <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of you know, more in the Easton camp than the Sex and Zen 3D camp. But
1: it's a Patrick Kong movie. It's a Patrick Kong movie.
0: And? <laughs> it's no, Sex and Patrick Zen
1: 3D. Kong. No, no, <laughs> I mean, Patrick Kong. is. I don't go. I'm, not, I'm never going to choose. I'm not i am never going to choose a Patrick Kong movie over Sex and Zen 3D. Seriously. Seriously, never. It's a Patrick Kong movie. Oh, dude. No way. Patrick Kong doing the mainland? No. Patrick Kong doing mainland thing? No, no way. No, uh, way.
0: no. Come on. I mean, that Sex and Zen 3D disaster. is going to be all like... In your face. It's going to be all awesome. All, all, as long as that's sex and zen
1: and it's in 3D, I'm perfectly happy.
0: I, You know, I think it should just be called sex in 3D because there's not going to be any. <laughs> how are you going to do zen in 3D? What does that look like? I mean, what does zen in 2D look like? I mean, come on.
1: I'm not sure what it is, but I'm sure it have a lot of CGI.
0: It's like, you know, a, a monk sitting on the ground going, oh, how, Al- how do you make that in 3D? The alms coming CGI, out of the screen.
1: CGI alms coming out Yeah, Thank <laughs>